have been teaching us how much we need each other because we will never come to our full potential. We will never understand why we were made the way we were by ourselves. Sometimes we're the last ones to know where our lives need to be tweaked. Heard a story once about a woman who heard, heard, heard a knock at the door and so she went and opened the door. There's this guy standing there. And he said, I'm the piano tuner. She said, well, I didn't call for a piano tuner. He looked at her and said, I know, ma'am, but your neighbors did. <laughs> Sometimes we're the last ones to know. Now, let me tell you where we've been. I'm, I'm going to go through this again and again until, until you know it as well as I do. This is where we started. I believe God wants 2015 to be the best year you've ever lived in your life. But in order for that to happen, you have to live a year differently than you've ever lived in your life. Or you're just going to have the same year over and over again. Now, here's what we believe God wants us to do because Christ has proclaimed this. God wants to build us into the church that busts up hell. We know this because that's exactly what Jesus said. He said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, this was his vision. I say to you that you are Peter. Now, now listen to this. And upon this rock, now Peter has just professed him as, as, as Christ. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And upon this rock, this profession, everybody who professes this along with you, I will build my church. See, we don't have to worry about building a church. Christ is the one that builds the church. But those, everyone who professes that, I'm going to build my church. Now listen, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're in the business of being built into a hell-busting church. Now a couple of you have said, I don't really like that phrase. I don't really care. It's not my phrase. Read it. It's Jesus' phrase. As a matter of fact, it's the only descriptor Jesus ever gives to the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me just, let me just check something out here. If you're coming to Northland to do a little religious deal, you know, and just be, do a little church thing, you're coming to the wrong church. Because, because if we're not going to make a difference, then we don't need to be here. You know, this isn't a neutral world. You understand, this world is hell-bent. You understand that word? Hell-bent. Bent toward hell. Things are coming apart. Lives are being destroyed. Relationships are being destroyed left and right. Do you think that there's not, not somebody prowling around seeking someone to devour? That's someone being you? You had better be about busting up hell. This is, this is not about just... I'm going to be a better person. This is about making a real difference in your life, in your relationships, in this world in which we live. That's the vision Christ had. And that's the kind of church he wants to build. And so how's he going to do that? Well, there's one building block. Bingo. One. It's a disciple. He's going to make disciples. And, and, and he said that, as a matter of fact. He said in Matthew chapter 28, he said, go therefore and make disciples. This is, what, this is our one order of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going through this discipleship making material together in the hopes that in some of these books, you can gather your friends 
and start not only becoming a disciple, but making disciples. And so we're giving you a little archive here. You can, you can link back to these messages and you can say, well, I wonder what Pastor Joel said about this. And, and you, can, you can find out. But here's what a disciple is basically. We learned this in the first book. There's basically five components that you can build on. One, a disciple has a message. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again. That's the message. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he nullified both the penalty and power of your sin. He nullified it in your life. Your past life of sin is dead. The effect sin has on you is dead if you choose Christ and the gift of salvation. It's dead. And he didn't stop with the cross. He came back to offer us the resurrected life because the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. The new has come. And so a disciple is someone who says, I'm going to make a different future. I'm going to be part of a different future. Because that, that old stuff that was holding me, that old way of thinking, that's dead to me now. But in order to do that, you have to be a part of a community. And that's why it says a disciple is one who has a spiritual family. That's what that being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is becoming a part of a spiritual family. You can't do this by yourself. You will, you will get beat up. You will get Satan's whole strategy is to get you alone. Because he knows if he can get you alone, he'll take you down. You'll self-isolate. You'll give up. You'll quit. You'll become depressed. That's his whole strategy. That's always been his whole strategy. And so what's God's counter strategy? Spiritual family. It's what Christ built while he was down here. We need to go in teams. And remember remember that, I, that old story I talked about John Dewar, who's the main venture capitalist in the United States. He still is. Invests billions into businesses. And they ask him where he chose to invest his money. How he thought there would be the best places of investment. And he said, I don't invest in good ideas. Everybody has a good idea. I don't invest in genius. There are a lot of smart people. I don't invest in market holes or, or opportunities. There's always opportunities. I invest in teams because I know that anybody starting a business is going to be put to the test. And if they have a team to pick them up and encourage them and sustain them, eventually they're going to succeed. It's the same, true with you. same thing is true with your walk in Christ. You have to have people who have your back. You have to have people who will sustain you and encourage you and see things you can't see and, and bring out of, thing, out of you things that you would never bring out of yourself. And then you got to be trained. This is it. you got to be trained in the resurrection life. See, you've been trained all your life in how to cope with this world. Hardly any of you have ever been trained how to overcome this world. And that is the resurrected life. How to overcome this world. Not to trash it, but to make it a whole different world for everybody else. To establish the kingdom of God. See, if you're busting up hell, what are you putting in its place? That'd be the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we pray. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. Also, this is not about trying harder. This is about being transformed by God. 
See, this isn't because we have so much ability in ourselves to do this. As a matter of fact, that's the opposite of the resurrected life. The resurrect, one of the things a resurrected life teaches you is you don't have to try harder, you have to trust more. Because this is about God's ability. This is not about your ability. This is about God's vision, not about your vision. And so we don't try harder, we trust. We keep trusting in God. We keep giving it to Him. Which brings up the last subject. Being a disciple means that you live in ex as an example rather than trying to control other people. God will give you enough in the resurrected life to manage your life and not enough to manage anybody else's life. So quit trying to manage the universe. You can resign from this. It feels, it feels so free to, be, to resign the general management of the universe. It's just awesome. And even not to have to manage the other adults around me. Boy, is that freeing. It's wonderful. Now, in order to do this and be reminded of it and be sustained, we've got to have a spiritual family. I'm going to go back to number two. Because the second booklet is, a, is, a, a booklet is about belonging to a family of families. And in order to have the next installment, this is just the next installment, we're going to focus on one verse. That's, that's the, the second lesson in this one. And it's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. This is what it says. He's writing to, to Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy, remember, is the pastor at Ephesus. And so this is what he says. He says, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church. It's the church. This is why we need the church. And then it says, the church of the living God, the pillar, stop right there, makes frequent stops, stop right there. He's writing to a man in a city with a huge pagan temple. This was the pagan uh, temple of Artemis or Diana. And there's, there still is the remains there. I've been there. You can see the remains of this temple. In this temple were 124 huge pillars. They just looked totally indestructible. Looked like they would last forever. They're gone. They're gone. Do you know what pillars remain? That'd be you. That'd be the church. The church of God, the household of God, which is the church, the pillars. That, have you ever heard, of, you ever, you ever heard uh, uh, the phrase, he's a pillar of the community? She's a pillar of the church. You know what, what, what uh, uh, how the descriptor God gives to this? It's not to certain individuals. It is to, it is to every individual. You all are pillars of the church. We got a whole lot more than 124 pillars here that will, that will last. Okay, come on with me some more. It says, and support of the truth. Support. Um, um, now, I, I, I got to tell you, this is the, the Greek word here is um, uh, hedraomi, uh, hedraoma. And, and it's... And it's, it's um, the grounding, it's the way things get stabilized in our life. How does the truth come into your life? 
That's the main thing. How does the truth come into your life? Most of us have been taught a very anemic definition of what truth is and how it comes into our life. That is, we've been taught the concept of truth. That truth is a concept. It's an intellectual construct. And, and that's part of it. But it's just a small part of it. Let me, let me ask you this. If God's in the business of building a relationship with us, all right? And that's the difference between Christianity and religion. Religion tries to conform you in a way that you will be good enough for God. A relationship says, no, God already loves you. He's already died for you. And so therefore, it's not about you being good enough. It's about either we have a relationship or we don't. Either it's personal or it's objective. I want it personal. So if that is what God's trying to build with him, how do you think he's going to teach us what truth is? That'd be through relationships. <laughs> this, is, this is no secret. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. Grandfather and his grandson. Grandfather is, 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 wants the boy to learn how to have a relationship with God. So every night they read the scripture, you know. Well, the, the grandson is getting, you know, to an age where he's kind of kicks back sometimes, you know. Uh, and he kind of, he kind of tells his grandfather what he, what he thinks. Um, um, and so uh, let me just stop. Amir, how old are you? How old? 12. Okay, he's about, about, about Amir's age here. You know, where you start going, ah, I don't know about this, you know? And so Amir looks at his grandfather and he says, Grandfather, I love you, but I got to tell you, I don't know why we have to read the Bible every night. Because to be honest with you, I don't understand most of what it says. And, and as soon as you close up that book, I, I can't remember a thing you said. So I'm not sure why we're even doing this. Grandfather looks at him and says, well, Amir, this is what I want you to do. You see that old coal bucket there? And there's an old holy coal bucket there, just black with dust. and doesn't have any coal in it because they'd used it all for a night. I said, I want you to go down to the river and, and, and get a bucket of water and bring it back. And so he goes down, you know, and he fills the bucket and brings it back. Well, by the time he gets back, the bucket's completely empty. Grandfather says, no, 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 you got to go faster than that. If you're going to get back with any water, you go faster than that. So he runs down the river. He sweeps up. And he runs back, you know, totally empty. Grandfather said, no, you really got to go faster than that. You got to run as fast as you can. So he goes down the river. He scoops it up. He runs back and does it. Totally empty. He said, it leaks. Grandfather said, yeah, it does. But look at it. Well, he looks at it, and it was totally clean. It was totally black, and that was totally clean. And he looks at his grandson, and he says, that's what happens when you read the Bible. Even though you don't retain any of it, it cleans you. Now, stop right there. Most of you thought, good, I just got an answer for why I should read the Bible. That's the most valuable thing I can get. No, that's a valuable thing. And that's a legitimate answer. But when God looks at that scene, you know the most valuable truth he sees is the relationship between the grandfather and the grandson. That's the resource he sees. And that's why the church is so important. 
Because in scripture, when it comes to being grounded in the truth, that's, that's the, the phrase. Um, um, hedraionomi um, et aletheus. It's being grounded in the truth. The way you retain truth is through relationship. Can I teach you a big word today if you don't already know it? Let me teach you a big word. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, all right? If I sit up there. Hermeneutics is the branch of knowledge that deals with the interpretation, with interpretation, especially of the Bible or literary texts, all right? Hermeneutics. Now, let me tell you what relationships are. They are your hermeneutic. The people who hang around you will give you the way you are interpreting the world. What you watch, the people you listen to, you will eventually interpret reality as they see it. I watched part of the uh, uh, correspondence dinner last night. And it's all these news agencies, you know? If you watch Fox News, you interpret the world entirely differently than if you watch MSNBC. The same news stories, you'll have an entirely different interpretation of the events. Now here's a question. How will you have any spiritual interpretation of what's going on in the world if you're not hanging around Christians? See the church, this is what it's saying. It's saying the pillar is the church. The pillars are the church, anybody in the church. That is who is to ground you in the truth. That is who is to interpret the world with you. That's the cool, that's, that's why we need the church. Now, when you go on and you begin to develop the church, you notice a few things. When you begin to develop these relationships, you notice a few things. First of all, you'll notice that in these relationships, you will come to find out why you were made like you are. Everybody's different. You know that? Everybody's different. God wove you together in your mother's womb with a purpose, with something in mind. You're no accident. Your gifting is no accident. But you will never find out what it's for out of a book. You will never find out where you fit out of a book. It actually has to be in relationships. In relationships. First of all, in, in, uh, stick up the Galatians scripture, will you? In Galatians 2, 9, it says this. It says, James, Cephas, and John, this is Paul writing to the church at Galatia, by the way, those esteemed as pillars. There's that word again. You know, they're, they're pillars in the church. Gave me and Barnabas, remember the word Barnabas means son of encouragement. Gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given for me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles. Now remember what a Gentile is. Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. And they to the circumcised. The circumcised are the Jews. So right away you have a division of calling, you have a division of gifting, you have a division that's not a division, it's a complementarity. 
When we say, for example, Pete said, hey, we're looking for parking lot attendants. Well, yeah, we're looking for certain types of gifting for the parking lot. Let me tell you who won't do very well in a parking lot. I mean, your heart might be in the right place. You really won't do well out there. Uh, um, um, and, 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 and by the way, this is, you've got to have really kind of thick skin to be a traffic director in the parking lot. Because Pete says it's you who will tell them where to go. No, they tell you where to go. Because newsflash, we have sinners coming to this church. Seriously, look around and you can identify them. Look in a mirror, you can identify more of. So we get sinners. We love it. I love sinners that come to the church. Awesome. That's why we're here. So in the parking lot, somebody might not be having a good day, you know? And it's, it's, this is exactly where they need to be. And if they give you a hand signal of some sort, they might not use all their fingers, you know? It just, it's part of living. It's part of, you know? Now, if, you're, if you have a spiritual gift, you got to find out your, we're going to help you find your spiritual gift. Everybody has a spiritual gift, at least one. Because if you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you do if you have Jesus Christ in you, then you have a spiritual gifting. You have a certain wiring, okay? For a purpose. Now, if you put people with a spiritual gift of mercy out there, it's only a matter of time before they're in tears. Because they, they hate, they, they, they live on their feelings and they hate hurting people's feelings and they hate people hurting their feelings and what did I do wrong? And I must, I must be, this is terrible, you know. Well, we don't want to destroy you. It's, it's just, not you. You put somebody out there with a gift of prophecy, anybody know about spiritual gift? People with a gift of prophecy have to tell people the truth. So if they get a, the wrong hand signal, they will chase the car. We don't want that, you know? You can't be, you can't do, you know, this is church for crying out loud. You gotta be doing that stuff in church. That's wrong. No, we don't want that. We don't want people chasing cars. But if you have a gift of service, you know, people with a gift of service, they don't care what they're doing. They just kind of want to help out. They're just there to help, you know? You know, let me shake hands. Let me direct cars. I just want to help. Boom. That's who needs to be there. Because no matter what, what happens, you're still helping. So you see, this whole thing is you get to be fitted. Be fitted. Put the, put the Ephesians um, um, uh, passage up there, Ephesians 2. It says, in him, the whole building is being joined together. Some of you just don't know where you fit yet. Patience, patience. You will fit and you will know why you are like you are. It's because God made you that way for a purpose because he could see where you fit. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Second thing you'll learn is when you love somebody, you change for them and not for you. People are pretty powerless to change for their own good. Have you noticed that? Have you seen people, I know you have, that just keep destroying their own lives? And you go, why do they keep doing that? They're wrecking their life. They know 
they're wrecking their life. And they keep doing it. But there are people who will change because they wouldn't hurt somebody who has loved them and believed in them for the world. They would never change for themselves, but they would change for the. Have you ever had somebody like that in your life where, where you wouldn't hurt them for the world? Some of us had grandmothers like that, you know? Some of, had, some of us had friends or spouses or, or children who believed in us so much. And, and, and if there was any, any chance that we would change, we would change for them, not for us. When it says, I want you to learn how to behave, you got to think, on what basis do I behave the way I do? As long as it's on the basis of what is good for you or not good for you, you'll ruin your life. But when it's on the basis of love, you will find a life with more power and more motivation, more sustaining power to live a redeemed life, to overcome this world. Again, you gotta, you gotta hang around with people who have those values. Put up the Proverbs quote. Proverbs says this, he who walks with, the, with wise men will be wise, but the command, companion of fools will suffer harm. Here's the question. Who are you gonna surround yourself with? See, if they're believers, if they're people who say, I trust God, then it's more likely you're gonna trust God. It's more likely you're, over, you're gonna overcome the world. And it's more likely that you will have the character that you can never get out of a book. You can only get out of a relationship. Do you know there are certain qualities and they are the main qualities of a spirit-led life that can never come from just reading a book, even this book, even this book. When the church started in Acts chapter two, verse 42, it had this phrase, this phrase goes together. It says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching, the apostles taught them about scripture and to fellowship. Those two are inseparable. If, 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 you want to, if you want to get the teaching, you have to have the fellowship who are also trying to get the teaching, which is why we need to be in a spiritual family because we do it together. And the reason we do it together is that there are qualities that cannot be built on an intellectual process, by an intellectual process or by reading a book. For example, put up that list. Things you can't learn in a book or alone you can only learn what they truly mean in relationships. You can't learn love in a book. I, I know some of you girls like romance books. Do you know what? The older I get, the more I like them too. I can't believe I'm reading it. For 30 some years, I never, wrote, I never read a fiction book. I read three or four books a week. And it was never fiction. It was science. It was all. Now I'm reading all this, you know, Austin and Bronte and Gaskell and all these books. You know, I'm just fascinated with these books because I love a story. They're all about relationships. They're all about relationships. But I can read all those books I want. I'll never learn about love outside of a relationship. 
I'll never know what it is. I'll never know what it costs. I'll never know how sustaining love for another person is fulfilling outside of actually living it in a relationship. And if God is love, guess where he's going to teach that? In relationships. I'll never know about trust outside of relationships. You never know the disappointment of having your trust be dashed outside of a relationship. But you never know about how valuable a relationship with someone with whom you can trust is outside of a relationship. And when it comes to trusting God, you will never know how dependable he is until he's all you got. And if he doesn't come true, you're destroyed. You cannot learn that in a book. You'll never learn about grace. You'll never, you'll never understand what grace really is outside of a relationship. Some of you know people who have given you the benefit of the doubt more times than they ought to have. They should have been smacking you up alongside the head. And they were your main cheerleaders. And you know what grace is because you had that relationship. See, that's what God's trying to build in our lives. So we need church. There are things that can be established only in a relationship. For example, the power of cooperation. God doesn't want to build lone champions. Do you know why? Because no matter how powerful you are, you will never have much of an impact in the world. All of us, all of us. Now, let me start this a different way. None of us are replaceable. None of us are replaceable. But none of us make the world step back after we go. The world goes right on. But there are networks of networks that if they were taken out, there would be a huge hole in communities. Let me tell you something. If Northland was taken out of this community, you would see it immediately and it would be felt for years because of what you do in this community and what you do together in this community. It's huge. But that comes because we're in it together. Another thing is... You never know what personal support is and acts of compassion. Remember what Jesus said? That him who's experienced mercy, give mercy. You never know what that is outside of a relationship. The last one is, uh, no, it goes on from here. But you, you, you never know how good it is not to be the center of the universe <laughs> outside of relationship. When you're not in a relationship, you are de facto the center of your universe. That's not a good position. When you're in a relationship, one that you really care about, with a person you really care about, you're not the center, they are. And it's so good to not be the center of the universe. Okay, let me, let me close up here. 
I, I, last night I preached for like an hour and a half. <laughs> you know, Drew was coming down here. So I'm going to be merciful to you. When we look at the future of the church, I, I just saw a stat on this. It was, it was by uh, um, Ed Stetzer, and he works for, uh, oh, what's that, what's that uh, survey organization? They take all kinds of surveys. They do all kinds of research. Lifeway, Lifeway, that's it. And he said, the next 10 years of the church is going gonna, is gonna to show three things. First of all, it's going to show the continual and, and probably exponential decrease of the mainline institutional church. They've lost half the members. And I, and I tell you why. I started, I started it like this. If you belong to an organization where you can just kind of, you know, put in a tithe every once in a while, show up for worship every once in a while, but it requires nothing of you, who needs that? I mean, what, of what value is that? What difference does that make in your life or of the world? Pretty soon you go, now why am I doing this again? And that's exactly what's happening with the institutional church. Because our time is too valuable to us just to put in, you know, the, the next cog, you know? And so the institutional church will uh, eventually diminish because the generations have no loyalty to institutions anymore. It's either... I'm going to make a difference or I'm not. The second component, the second um, um, characteristic is that it has to be personally engaging. You know, you know what the, the part of the church that's really growing? The charismatic Pentecostal part. Now, now I, I, it, it, don't, please don't equate that with just speaking in tongues. Please understand that is about people who still believe that all of Christ's gifts are active and engaged with people, and people are personally engaged and emotionally engaged with what God is doing with their life and in the world right now. By that definition, Northern is a charismatic church. But I gotta tell you, it's, it's, it's about relationship. It's about personal relationship. That kind of church will thrive because people wanna know that they matter to other people. And when they invest their time and their money and their, and their, and their um, 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 behavior and their thoughts, their intellect, they want to know it's making a difference in the world, including in their own life. That part of the church will grow. But the third one is the network, the network of close relationships. Any church that's arranged as a family of families you know, this, this, is, this is our church. This is our church family. But this is more like a family reunion. Because your branch of the church family is much smaller than this. And they know who you are. And they need you. And they love you. Just like you are. And you belong to them. So there's nothing artificial about that. And that's what we're building. Spiritual families of Christians who really know one another and can encourage one another and be interdependent. And there's nothing artificial about this. This will take some time. But I want you to hang in there with us. Let me tell you one more story and quit, and I'll quit. This just turned out to be a long sermon. I'm going to give it up, trying to make it short. You need to know all this stuff. Last night, my little grandson, Lincoln, Isaac's boy, was sitting over there and, and starting to nod off right at the end. I didn't blame him at all. 
He's eight years old, and uh, and we just had him for a few days, and and uh, and and so, but he always wants to play on the phone, you know, wherever we're going. But he loves to talk to Siri. Siri, you know the answer thing on your phone? I never talked to Siri. I was taught never to talk to strangers. She's a stranger to me. But he tries to trick Siri. He tries to say, Siri, how much is 12,059 plus 500 plus 500 plus 3,022? It's remarkable, by the way, how much that machine can actually remember those numbers and spit out an answer. It's really remarkable. And sometimes he'll, he'll say a tricky question and say, you know, uh, I did not understand, or I found this on the web, and she'll just present, you know, the math or the whatever to him, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Every once in a while, I say, Siri, you're doing a terrible job. And, and she'll say, you're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> Seriously, ever tried to do that? Criticize her. You're entitled to your opinion. And sometimes it will say, Siri, you're fired. And she'd say, she'll say, thought so. You know, it's just, it's amazing. Well, here's the deal. It's not a person. It's a program. But he feels like he has a relationship. How many of us have that and believe that we have relationships? But it's just kind of pre-programmed stuff. I don't want you to go through discipleship training thinking you got a relationship when all you're getting is a bunch of answers, be they right or wrong. We need real relationships. And so I want you to refocus and get plugged into the church. It'll take time. Don't get impatient with us. But we need to walk this through together. And we need to bust up hell. Pray with me. God, thank you for these words, this installment of your word. We love learning from you, but we love it because we can do it together. Build us together, Lord. And if there's anyone within the sound of my voice that has not accepted the great gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation, the gift that he paid for our sins, that should have been us on that cross. The wages of sin is death. It should have been us who, who had to pay with our blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiving of sin. But he took our place and he offers us the gift of his payment. And so anybody who wants that gift, who hasn't accepted it yet, just simply let him pray this with me. Lord, I do accept that gift. I want that gift. I want you to come into my life. And I want you to bring me a new life, that resurrected life that Pastor Joel talked about. And I want you to get me connected with other Christians who can help me along the line. And, and for those of us who have said the prayer, Lord, we want the same thing. We want the very same thing. So take these words and apply them to our minds that we might not grow shallow into our hearts, that we might not grow cold into our feet, that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen. Please stand. Before you leave today, remember, in all of these rooms, we have folks up front who will pray for you, would love to pray for you, and, and, and have a personal time with you. Those of you online have an online minister. Uh, remember what, I, what we said about needing parking lot attendants. We give you jazzy, bright clothes, 
and, and give you some training. And you're really a part of a team. They really are a close team. They're great people. Um, and that's all I know, except I just preached too long. But um, uh, go out and love people like Jesus and come back next week and I'll, t- I'll tell you some more. Amen. Well, I wish I had a short-term memory. Wish the only thing my eyes could see was the future burning bright right in front of me. But I can't stop looking back. Yeah, I wish I was a perfect picture of somebody who's never not good enough. Well, I try to measure up, but I mess it up. And I wish I was.